Welcome to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. Every week, I host live chats via our YouTube channel with leaders in the AFL and high-performance industries. Join me live every Sunday at 6pm where I debrief for recent chats and announce the upcoming guests. We drop an inspiring and educational episode every Monday. If you like the show, please follow us on your favourite podcast app. Welcome to Prepare Like a Pro live chats. Thanks for tuning in. Tonight on the show, we have Tim Schmidt. He is the founder of Kicking Dynamics, the inaugural AFLW head coach at GWS Giants and a former AFL player for the Sydney Swans. Super excited to chat with Tim tonight about his story, both as an athlete, as a coach, and then now as a business owner. Um, he's currently educating and developing players, coaches, and parents across the country, primarily focusing on kicking. For those that aren't following Kicking Dynamics, be sure to do it, whether you're a coach, an s and or a developing footballer, you'll get a lot out of his page. He teaches fundamentals in skills of Australian rules football. And before we start tonight's episode, our mission here at Prepare Like a Pro is to empower aspiring athletes and staff with practical knowledge from some of the industry's most inspiring individuals. If you like the show, please show your support by following us on Instagram and subscribing to the podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks for jumping on tonight, Tim. Thanks, Jack. Thanks very much for having me on board. And you know, I just firstly want to say that, you know, I love what the work that you're doing as well and, and the positive impact that you're having on, you know, athletes and, and, and coaches as well, which is sort of, you know, what I'm, I'm doing as well. So, um, yeah, love your work. Yeah, awesome, mate. It's good to see fellow Aussies like ourselves doing it. I know in America it's been pretty big in the private sector space in athlete development and skill acquisition. Um, but no doubt in Australia there's probably going to be a lot of growth over the next few years and um, hopefully we have some part to play in that. Um, take us back to the very beginning, mate. Uh, at what age did you start playing football, and where did you play your your junior football? Yeah, so it feels like feels like a long time ago now. Um, even you know, I guess the elite playing days. You know, when you start to talk about when you sort of retired and when you finished it, you just go, "Wow, it's a it's a long time ago." So, I first started my career um, in a real little small country town called Robertstown, which is about two hours directly north of north of Adelaide, and um, it was called the Robertstown Roos and back then there was only sort of under 13s, under 16s, B grade and A grade and, and being a real small country town, I was actually uh, playing under 13s as a, as a six-year-old. So, you know, so do you think about being in Sydney now and you've got pretty much every age group, you know, under nines, under 10s, under 11s, under 12s. So when I tell players and, and coaches that sort of story, they, you sort of get a bit of a look on, oh, yeah. wow, you really played that. And I do tell you. Yeah, I do tell the story that um, for pretty much a, a year, I sat in a Ford pocket and I actually didn't touch the footy at all. Um, it wasn't until my second game when I, you know, my second year of playing that I actually got a handball and, you know, I was over the moon that I actually got a possession in the game. Far out. Well, that's for a kid, you know. That, I mean, that would be hard for an adult to cope with, a year of that, let alone. Absolutely. And look, there are obviously the different times back then and, and being in the regional areas as well. Like, you know, I was playing... A lot of the weekends I'd play under 13s, under 16s, and then either B grade or A grade. So I was playing three games in the one game, uh, sorry, in the one day, which, you know, it's almost unheard of nowadays, yeah. especially in sort of the city areas. Yeah, absolutely. So when you, like, you must have loved the game to commit to it and, and, and get through. What, 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 what sort of took you? What, why did you love the game so much, even though you weren't getting possessions and everything? What, what, what did you love about it? I've, I think sometimes it's just, you know, in your, in your DNA as well. Like I come from a really sporty family where uh, my, both my mum and my dad were, were fantastic sports people. So 
you know, my mum was an amazing netballer. She obviously played other sports, but, you know, netball was her main one. And, and you know, she played A grade at the age of 14 and, and played, she did the calculations and probably played over 650 A grade games. So wow. you just think of that, you know, nowadays, but the problem is no one took those stats back then. So she doesn't actually have a record of, you know, that many games that she played, but she did the sums and it worked out to be about that. And then my dad was uh, an amazing footballer. Um, he, you know, through living in the country in a small town and, and being, you know, I guess not that wealthy back then, he didn't have, I guess, his parents couldn't afford to drive him down to Adelaide and, and play mm-hmm. in the Adelaide competition, even though he was sort of, you know, good enough to play in the SNFL. So sort of he chose to, you know, work as, and I think he started work as like a 14-year-old. Um, yeah. But, you know, I guess a testament to his football ability was uh, Neil Craig from the Crows um, did mention to me once that he was the best country footballer um, that he had ever seen. So it, yeah, was, wow. it, was in, it was in, I guess, our blood a little bit. And, and I remember pe- or people still talk to me today and say, I remember, you know, you was such a little baby and you always had a ball in your hand. Um, yeah. So just sort of, you know, started, um, started from there and, and had that passion. And, and being in a small country town as well, you know, we lived on a farm. So it was realistically, you know, you, you, you do work on the farm and you play sport. That's basically how it was. So, um, you know, I chose sport a lot more than, you know, working on the farm. Um, yeah, yeah sort of, you know, left dad to do the work on the farm while I concentrated on sports. Yeah, yeah. And so a six-year-old playing against under-13s, at what point did you start playing against your own age? Did you have to wait until you're under 13 or did it start to come a little bit earlier where you got to play against kids your age? Uh, it, it sort of didn't really happen too much for my whole career. When I was sort of at the age of 14, we were then travelling. My brother was already um, playing for West Adelaide in the SNFL. And, and yeah, when I was then 14, I was um, travelling down also. So it was a massive commitment from, you know, both mum and dad who, you know, would pick us up from school, travel two hours, train two hours, come home two hours. It was a six-hour round trip and we were doing yeah, that wow. three, four nights every week. So it was sort of working up about 50,000 Ks per year. Yeah, it's incredible. Alone, um, which was just incredible. And, and, you know, as a 14-year-old, I was playing under-17s for West Adelaide and also under-19s, and I played a couple of even reserves games as a 15-year-old. So I was always generally playing upper grade, which I think that sort of really helped um, my, you know, my, my football. And, you know, having an older brother as well, you know, really gets that competitive edge and you, you sort of look up to them and you want to be like them. and. Yep. That sort of, you know, forces you to, uh, you know, try a little bit harder and, and try to do what they're doing a little bit. So it wasn't until, you know, I said I got to about, a, you know, 17, 18, where I was then fortunate enough to get drafted to the Swans, where I was sort of playing in that age group. Yeah. And at what age did you discover in yourself that this was something you could do as a profession? I guess without, you know, without bragging, but um, I was fortunate enough to, you know, grow quite quickly and develop quite quickly. So I was sort of bigger than, you know, a lot of other kids. and. You know, there are some that only develop at 14, 15. I was almost the size that I was now at, you know, a 12 or 13-year-old, which made it obviously easier playing at a, at a you know, a, a higher level and an older age group because I could sort of stand it physically. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I was, you know, from an under-12 age group, I was fortunate enough to make, you know, the SA state teams, schoolboy state teams two years in a row, yeah. um, under-16s two years in a row, made the AIS um, which we toured Ireland and played the international rules and then obviously the under-18s before getting drafted to the Swans. So I guess in the back of my mind, you know, there was always a possibility, but still at the same time, you've still got to put in the work and nothing's a guarantee, especially in this day and age. So 
you still had to, you know, continue working on your game and, and you know, plan the best that you can be, but also knowing that if you did that, you, you'd, ha- you'd give it every shot. Yeah. Yeah, and, and on that note, like we're not far away from the, from the draft combine, so no doubt there'd be some footballers tuning in that um, are, are in that phase in their life where it's getting close to that point where they're testing themselves and wanting to get drafted like, like you did. If you take yourself back to that um, phase in your life, would you have done anything different leading up to when you got drafted? Um, take us through sort of your mindset and, and everything that you were doing at the time. Yeah, well, I, I guess back then it was so much different. There's so much scrutiny nowadays you know and with social media and 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 everything like that whereas back then you know we're talking 2003 um where i attended the draft camp that you'd almost just go out there and did what you did so whether it was you know if you're good at skills you're good at you just do it where there's so many things you know that players have to sort of worry about now but i guess you know that that would be my message to players is you know focus on what they can control don't focus on you know the things that they can't focus on what they're good at focus on their strengths and then, you know, if they're doing that and, and focusing on what, you know, I guess their ability is, then they're going mm. to give themselves every shot. Whereas if they're trying to be something they're not, that's when the mistakes come into it. And, you know, or, you know, times that they're running in a 2K time trial might be a little bit slower than what they, you know, would like. So, yeah, just control what you can control. Yeah, I love that. And focus on your strengths. So is that something that you, that your dad and your brother like that was part of your environment growing up or, or was that something you discovered later on in your career, the importance of focusing on your strengths? Um, I, yeah, to be honest, I can't really remember if it was, you know, something that, you know, my, my brother and, and dad sort of mentioned. You, you'd, I just felt back then you'd just go out and play and, um, you know, they'd be teaching you stuff and, um, you know, whether it's the fundamentals, whether it's just the game itself and, um, and, and how to be better. Um, but, yeah, I reckon it's definitely something later on in, in life where I sort of really started to, um, you know, learn a lot of that stuff and um i guess it's as a younger kid i was sort of quite naive as as well with things and um i just sort of went out there and and just played football and you know a lot of it came natural to me as well which is always a bonus whereas you get some players that you know it doesn't come as natural to and that's just the way that sporting is and they've got to work a little bit harder um whereas you know my i guess working harder was always on my fitness side of it as opposed to my skill side of it which then is why I sort of started up kicking dynamics as well was because skills is always a strength of, you know, of, of my game. Yep, yep. And, and you mentioned the transition from country life to Sydney Swans. Um, take us through that. I imagine you would have had to grow up pretty quick as a 17, 18-year-old. A- absolutely. So, you know, yeah. going from living at home and, yes, you know, we were travelling down to Adelaide three or four nights a week, but we'd sort of travel home um, each night as well. So it wasn't like we were really sort of experiencing, you know, the – the big city life of, you know, of, of Adelaide and even though that doesn't even compare to, you know, what Sydney was. So it was, uh, it was quite sort of, you know, scary and daunting, daunting and I sort of had amazing housemates um, when I sort of first moved in. You got moved in with a couple of players that have been there um, for a few years. So was fortunate enough to sort of get put with Ty Kennelly and, and Stephen Doyle and now Big Doyles was from Adelaide originally, Ty Kennelly obviously being from Ireland. So, you know, they've experienced moving out of home and, and moving to another city where they almost knew no one. Knew, uh, knew no one. So they had been there and sort of tested it out and, and really sort of made me feel at home. And, and I was fortunate enough as well to get drafted with two other SA players. So one of, mine, one of my good mates, Josh Willoughby, who was a first round pick with the Swans, um, so and we played state footy from under 12s together, so re- knew each other really yeah. well, and then that just made it so much easier um, to be able to adapt to you know Sydney and and Sydney lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. 
And how did you find um, living in Sydney and and like playing with you know, that professional lifestyle? Um, were you doing other things? Like was the club trying to get you to study at the time or were you wanting to work and think, or were you fully focusing all your energy on football and then just getting used to the living in the big city? Yeah, and again, these, you know, and it's brilliant to what the AFL is doing at the moment in terms of trying to get players to do other professions or, you know, work experience or study just because you have no idea how long it's going to be as an athlete. You know, sometimes, so Josh Willoughby, unfortunately, after two years, ended up getting, you know, delisted, even though he was a first-round pick and, you know, never played actual game of AFL. So, and then you have, you know, some players that play the game for 16, 17 years. You just have no sort of idea how long it's going to last and sort of no control over injuries and, and things. So what the AFL are trying to do from that respect is, is fantastic, whereas it probably wasn't as enforced back then. They obviously wanted to try to educate you to try to, you know, have um, interest outside of football. But yep. as a youngster as well, coming into a brand new club that had success, you're trying to do everything you can to get senior games. Yeah, yeah. And did you play different positions or were you, did you mainly play as a forward um, in career? Yeah, so it was, I was actually a midfielder. So when I when I played all my reserves games, I was generally a midfielder and, and played there most of the game. But what the Swans sort of do really well with these young players, and you see it even, you know, I guess with like someone like Callum Mills at the moment, he starts his career off, you know, at the half back and and develops into a you know a quality AFL player before sort of moving into the midfield. Whereas you know you look at his junior days and he was a midfielder as well, um, and that was sort of similar to me. And we had great midfielders already in the side: Brett Kirk, Jude Bolton. Benny Matthews, Nick Fosdyke, um, all of these types of players. So as a young player coming through, you sort of learn the ropes and you play half forward, you play wing. Sometimes you would go into the middle. Um, but, you know, then obviously as you develop, that's where you start then moving into the middle. Um, and that was my preferred uh, position. But as players nowadays, you have to be adaptable. You can't play one position and, and only one position. You know, I can't think of almost one player that can't be adaptable and play in another position. Yeah. Yeah, and you so, mentioned kicking was your strength. Like, what was what was one of your way, like one of your tactics and methods to uh, keep sharpening that skill? Just practice. Like, I'm even now that I'm finished, and I know that you know, obviously, I work, own kicking dynamics and and things, but I'm constantly touching the football. Um, you know, walking down the street, going for walks. I'm still carrying a football, kicking it to myself inside. Um, you know, obviously, try not to break things like I probably did as a junior in mum's and dad's house, but uh, yeah, just, you know, constantly just touching the ball and, and working on your craft. You can't work on your craft a- enough. Um, you know, you can always improve. You can always develop. And, and you, you know, you take a leaf out of, you know, other sports and you're watching these superstars like, you know, LeBron James, who's regarded as one of the best, you know, players ever to play the game in NBA. And he's still working on his craft in the offseason. Um, and that's why they're yeah. so good is because, you know, they're still working on things even um, after being in the system so, for so long. Yeah, yeah. And you, and you mentioned, like, the unknown, like your friend um, Josh, who, who was delisted even though his first round pick after a couple of years. Um, for yourself, like, you, you debuted three years in. What was it when, when you got drafted? What were sort of the expectations with your peers? Were you guys thinking, oh, drafted, living the dream, I'm going to play next, footy next year? Or were you aware that it does take? A couple of like everyone's different. Some people play their first year, some people play their fourth, their third, their second. Um, how did you cope with that? I guess and your expectations. Uh, look, and it was it was definitely challenging at times. And you know, coming as a as a youngster, um, not knowing really what to you know expect. And I think that's the beauty of these academies around the you know around the country nowadays is they educate the players so well. So 
they know what to expect when they're going into an AFL club now. Whereas previously, you know, you'd go into an AFL club at raw at 17, never done any weights before. I remember, you know, getting to the club and our max bench press um, all of our first years was the bar and 10 kilos on each side. And that was our max bench press was 40 kilos. Um, You know, look at the players nowadays and that 15 or 16, they're lifting that. And by the time they get into the system, you know, they're so much better equipped. So it was sort of, you know, challenging to begin with. And then also going into an environment like the Sydney Swans, where the year that I got drafted, they just made the prelim. They're really starting to find their straps and find their form. And and as a youngster, you know, wanting to play games and, and see, I guess seeing other players that you grew up with that I guess necessarily weren't as good as you playing games at these other clubs as well was, was extremely mm. challenging and frustrating. And, and I guess that's something that I've had to learn along the way is that, you know, the perseverance and, and um, also, you know, that the consistency too to make sure that you're ready whenever you're, you know, the time's right for you to get called up. Yep. Yeah, and how did you find it? What, what, what did you, how did you find your first game? And did you, were your family able to watch the game and take us through it? Yeah, so I, just to, I guess, take it back, we, like we had, uh, and I'm sure like most clubs do, we had player mentors. So, you, you know, younger players got paired up with sort of more senior players. And, and I had Nick Fosdyke as my mentor at the time. And, and he wasn't quite right at training on Thursday night. So he ended up um, sort of not playing. And, and then that left a spot open for, for myself um, to play. So I get it even from today that Nick Fosdyke still tells me that he was the one that made my AFL career and, and gave me my first game. So I'll never live that one down. But yeah. I guess I was also, you know, fortunate too was it was actually playing Port Adelaide in Adelaide. So obviously, you know, being from Adelaide, having, you know, yeah. having all family and friends down there, I reckon there was sort of about, you know, 30 or 40 people down there. And it was just, it was incredible. And it was something that I'll, you know, never forget and, and something I'll tr- cherish as well just because I know that, that a lot of players don't actually end up playing an AFL game even though they're on a list. So to be able to do that was something pretty special and something that I'm, you know, pretty proud of. Yeah, yeah. Mick Husky, does he ring a bell? Yeah. Uh, he does. So, yeah, I do uh, a number of uh, – I've done a lot of work with his, uh, with his son, uh, Cooper, and – um yep. the donut story well yeah look i'll i'll say it it's there um right. i'll pop it the, up then there we go Nick. <laughs> back to i guess the 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 weights and and i look as as a player or even even now my bottom half was always um a lot stronger and bigger than my top half in terms of you know um upper body strength so when i first got to the club i actually couldn't do a um a, a chin up um yep. which is you know i reckon the first ever at a at an afl club and that's where the donut, uh, the donut nickname came from. Oh, you got the zero. Couldn't zero do any, couldn't do any chin ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, but then once you know, once I obviously built up that strength and obviously slimmed down a little bit because obviously the training, I ended up, you know, I think smashing out about twenty seven. So then I go to the opposite side and say, well, no one's improved as much as what I have either. Yeah, absolutely. Twenty seven. How many years did it take you to get to that level from zero to twenty seven? That's impressive. Uh, that was probably around sort of my my sort of fourth or fifth year where I sort of really um, concentrated on running in the off-season and, and didn't really touch the touch the footy too much in the off-season because obviously my skills were, um, you know, quite high and at a quite high level as it was just naturally. So pretty much I spent most of the pre-season just running and running and running. So I sort of really dropped that weight and was able to, um, you know, move around the ground easier and that sort of helped me, you know, get my first game and, and play senior football too. 
Yep, yep. For those that are tuned in, if you want to ask questions, send them through via the chat box. And at the end of the interview with Tim, we'll, we'll go through some questions at the end. Hopefully no more um, ones like that donut story. <laughs> yeah, we've had our funny. The rest can be a bit more serious. <laughs> um, okay, so back to you, Chris. You, you've had your debut and you mentioned you were lucky enough to be in Adelaide. Um, how did you go from then on? Did you Were you able to cement your spot in the team? Obviously, it was, it was a super successful Sydney team, as you mentioned, in the top four sort of team in the league. Um, it must have been pretty hard as a youngster playing in that team. How did you find your debut? and uh, successive games? Yeah, look, from, you know, anyone's first game, I, you know, it's I wouldn't put sort of too many expectations on, you know, players' first games because it, it's it's an, a level that no one sort of experienced before. It's the highest level that you can, you know, you can actually go. So, you know, the messages were, you know, go out and, um, you know, just play to your strengths and play to your ability and, and do what you do well and focus on that. And, and look, I feel that that I did that. And, and, you know, it was a different time again back then where, you know, there's a lot of, uh, players that you know get pretty much equal playing time whereas back then you'd only you know as a youngster you'd only sort of go on the ground when the, the superstars and that came off for a bit of a breather and and you know mm-hmm. you'd five or ten sort of minutes out there so you sort of had to make a bit of an impact when you're out there and then you'd come off again and and most of the time you're sort of getting 40 to 60 percent game time whereas you know now that's just changed and and you know more players are getting even you know a playing time a, a, across the level um, and I ended up playing um, the, the next match, and um, and then after that, that was sort of leading more into the final so, so side. So they really wanted to, you know, um, secure their team leading into the finals and make sure they're having a good run at it. And um, yeah, so I managed the two the first year, and then two, two, that was two thousand and six, and then two thousand and seven was sort of my I guess my breakout year for my career, and that's where I played majority of my games in two thousand and seven. Yep, yep, awesome, and then. So you played a total of 17 games, is that right? And kicked a fair few goals as a midfielder. Yep. Um, and retired in 2009. Am I right in saying injuries played a part in the retirement? Yeah, so, you know, in the pre-season in 2008, I, um, you know, really wanted to work on my fitness. And, and one of my, it was actually my housemate, Ty Canelli, who pulled out of a drill, said, you know, as he, as he did, he obviously had the... Right to when he earned the uh, the right to obviously pull out of drills when he wanted to. So he said, you know what, well, I'm out of this one. And and me being wanting to, you know, make sure I was getting fitter and fitter and try to do as much as I could. I then um, came into the, his spot and and we we're doing a stoppage drill. And unfortunately, one of my teammates in the stoppage got the signal wrong, went in the wrong direction, and actually crashed into my knee and did my MCL. And you know, when you think about knee injuries, you sort of go, well, that's you know probably the better one to do than the ACL, but. Unfortunately, that didn't heal, so I had to have sort of another operation. And then every time I was sort of be, you know, to be about 100% fit, something would just break down, whether it was quad, calf, back, hamstring. And then the injury, you reckon, it started to compensate? Yeah, that's, that's right. And, and I think I only ended up playing like one senior game and four reserves in two years and, it, yeah, you right. know, massive toll mentally. And, and you know, sometimes you you just sort of, I guess got to make that decision and make that hard decision, and it was one of the hardest decisions of my life to to retire at the you know the end of two thousand and nine. Um, mm. You know, being only twenty three, um, and and you know retiring at that age was was very difficult in the decision. But you know, I don't sort of you know look at negatives and and things like that. I'm trying to look on the positive outlook on life and what I've learned from it and what I can then do moving forward. Um, yeah. And that, you know, then why I started up kicking dynamics as well um, to obviously give back a little bit. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, like you said earlier, um, control the controllables. It sounds like it's something in action there, and that is a that is a tough one, especially like you said as a twenty three year old. And two thousand seventeen was was your breakout years, which wasn't too far away from there. So I can understand that would be that would be incredibly challenging for for the maybe mature age players that are, that are listening to the podcast recording or tuned in live. Um, that transition from professional, and maybe they're not footballers, but just any professional athlete to um, to outside of pro life into into the work life sort of scenario, if we call it. Um, how did you find that? Did you sort of know what you're going to do before you retired, or did you retire and sort of close that chapter and then start to focus on life after footy? Yeah, and look, to be honest, I didn't have sort of any idea um, sort of what I really wanted to do, but my sort of world got um, really. Um, I guess, you know, shaken up. Um, so just a, a month after I had um, retired, my uh, dad got diagnosed with uh, lung cancer. Um, so that sort of really shook things up. And um, in the end, he actually only ended up um, living an extra um, three months. So sort of three oh, months, yeah. Yeah. yeah, diagnosed, he had lung cancer, ended up passing away. So I actually spent um, quite a few months just back home in South Australia looking after mum and just making sure that, you know, she was okay and, and it was a difficult time and then moved back to sort of Sydney and, um, you know, probably I, I guess still didn't have my, you know, head, head space right and was playing football in the Sydney competition and, um, you know, just, I guess, in, enjoying life from, um, you know, being on a, a professional, um, you know, sporting, sporting club for six years, just, I yeah. guess, letting my hair down a little bit and, and it wasn't, you know, probably until one or two years after that that I sort of really then looked at um, you know the, the coaching um, sort of side of it, and, and my next adventure, and 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 then in 2013, that's when I started up uh, kicking dynamics. Um, you know, I saw a massive gap in the market um, for for you know skill acquisition for AFL. You look at a lot of other sports, and you see um, you know tennis players they get tennis coaches, basketball they get basketball coaches working on specific things, but then AFL we never really actually had you know skill acquisition players. Uh, oh, sorry, coaches around. So, yep. and then being in Sydney and, and the market of a, you know, a, a rugby dominant state, there was, you know, there were a lot of people that were starting to play AFL, but, you know, obviously then needed to learn the basics as well. So then that's where I saw that gap in that market and, and started up kicking dynamic. Yeah. And did you get the inspiration from someone else? Did you see, like, how did that, how did the creativity side, how did you think of, it, of the idea? Like you mentioned, it's not that common. Uh, how did it come about? Started. Yeah, I guess I've you know had the passion for AFL my whole life, and I was like, well, what is my strength? What am I actually good at? And and you know, I do love um, developing. You know, whether it's and it's not just kids; it's it's adults as well. I love developing and educating people, and 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 that's players, coaches, parents. I you know, I run all types of sessions for you know parents and coaches, and and also players as well. Yeah. So you know, and then also then back. Backtracking a little bit before I got drafted, um, I mentioned I was fortunate enough to make that AIS um, sort of system. So during the, my time at the AIS, I actually had my biomechanics um, videoed um, of my kicking technique. So working on, you know, how I make connection with the football, um, just how I kick the ball so so well. And, um, and then, you know, when I was during the system, uh, we were using Nathan Buckley. And anyone that knows Nathan Buckley was a beautiful kick of the football. But then yeah. when my cousin went through the – my cousin Chris Schmidt, who played uh, AFL for Brisbane and Adelaide as well, he went through the system, um, the AIS system, a couple of years later. Um, he was then telling me that they were using my footage um, for, the, for the biomechanics and showing them, you know, on how to kick the football. So 
that sort of, I guess, you know, taken my memory back then, realised, well, I do, you know, kick the ball really well and I knew it was a strength of mine. And, um, you know, I'm, kicking, as we know, is one of the most important aspects of the game. And if you can't get that right, especially as a junior, then, you know, it's, it makes it very hard to get drafted if that's what you want to do. But then also it makes it hard in any level to be able to move the ball if you can't kick. So that's Absolutely. why then I started it up um, to, to hopefully, you know, not only help and give confidence to players, but also to help better the game too. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Uh, fantastic, mate. And nearly coming up to, well, a couple of years away from a decade as well. So that's, um, that's fantastic. And the coaching side, how did that come about at, at GWS and working for the AFL? Yeah, so it was, it was funny. So I just booked my first client with Kicking Dynamics and I think it was almost like the very next day I got a phone call from AFL New South Wales ACT saying they've got a role for me. Uh, and I was like, oh, I just started up, you know, my own business, Kicking Dynamics. And, and you know, we sort of come to a compromise and, and you know, I've been fortunate enough to have, you know, great staff to, to allow me to be able to do both. And, and I reckon they've really helped each other anyway because it, I'm sort of, while I was working for the AFL, I was sort of on the ground um, doing Kicking Dynamics and doing Kicking Sessions. So I really got an understanding from coaches and players and, and parents from a community level and sort of, you know, and higher. Mm. And, I was being fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do various coaching roles within the AFL. So, you know, things like Swans Academy coach to working with our state boys and girls programs. Um, so under 16s, under 17s and 18s. Uh, I was also the high performance female football coach. So I was fortunate enough to actually start up the female academies here in New South Wales and ACT, which have now um, progressed to Swans and Giants Academy. So that's been, you know, really proud that I could set up that. And yeah. then... That led me then to obviously, you know, one while I was then being the high performance female football coach, led me to the the Giants AFLW um, because I'd had obviously experience in that background and um, with previous sort of coaching coaching roles, and I knew a lot of the players as well. So that sort of then really helped me um, do do that role. Yeah, yeah, and of all those different experiences that you got in development and uh, high performance at the top level AFLW, um, what what sort of what did, what did you love the most? Uh, it was, is it more the development of the next generation? Is it more um, education, like seminars with coaches and parents, or, or is it like sort of the head coaching component of the role? Yeah, and, and looking back on, on everything, I guess you'd, you'd have to say that development, development has always been, you know, my probably biggest passion for all of it. I want to um, make players, I guess, you know, better and... and um, Going back to the, the Swans days, uh, Paul, when Paul Roos was coaching, uh, Roosy then, you know, basically said, what would we like written on our football tombstone? So what that sort of meant was when we left the game, whether that was a player, whether that was a coach, whether that was in the media or whatever it was, when we left the game, what do we want our tombstone to say about us? And, and I remember writing on mine that I would like, you know, to leave the game, you know, better um, from when I left it than when I started. So, you know, that development and um, really giving players confidence because you give, you know, if you get the fundamentals right, you know, what everything that, you know, uh, players do in their game will, will lift because of it. And, you know, I guess I go to one of the quotes um, from, you know, the great Michael Jordan. He says, you can practice, you know, shooting eight hours a day, but if you've got a bad technique, then all you become at is shooting, you know, good the wrong way. Whereas if you get your fundamentals mm. right, then everything that you do will rise. And, and I explain that to the players and they sort of go, well, how is that the case? And I then, you know, go, well, if you've got the confidence in kicking or marking or handballing, 
but let's just take kicking. You want the ball more. So if you want the ball more, you're going to lead a little bit harder, call a little bit louder, run a little bit faster, go in and win the footy of that little bit more. So then you start then playing better overall, just, and it comes from just giving them that confidence in the fundamentals. And sometimes we can overcomplicate the process. And, you know, the, the, the game of AFL, I still feel is, you know, is, can be quite basic. And if you generally do the fundamentals well, um, you, you're going to win more games than you, than you lose. Yeah, yeah, love that. Awesome. There's been a fair few questions come through, so we'll have a quick drink break and then we'll, um, we'll start reeling off those questions. Thanks for sending through, guys. Hey, guys, CJ here. Um, I've been fortunate enough to work with Jack for the last two years preparing for last year's NAB AFL Draft Combine and then this year's NAB AFL Draft Combine. Um, he's been absolutely amazing helping me zone in on specific areas of what I wanted to work on, which is my endurance of the 2K time trial and um, the 20 meter sprint. Trying to crack that under three seconds has been a massive goal for me this year. And I feel like that the work that I put in with Jack, he's just helped me skyrocket um, for my personal goals, which has been absolutely amazing for me. But it's not only it's not only what he's done on field for me, it's what he's done off field for me. He's been able to help me be persistent with the lockdowns that we've had stay motivated, prepare for massive events, especially the combine this year, which was done over Strava, unfortunately, that we couldn't get out to the Holden Centre and compete um, against the other the other prospects. But also the massive one is just recovering. He's been able to give me a massive, massive influences on how to recover properly. Obviously feeling for your next sessions massively for me as well. And the advice that he's given me so far has just been second to none. It's been really appreciated what he's done. Um, I've really enjoyed working with Jack. I feel like we've become a bit of a, we've made a bit of a friendship, which is always, it makes it easier when you're training, when you've got basically a mate that's telling you what to do. It makes it a whole lot easier than a, than a random coach that you've never really met before. So I feel like Jack's just helped me, helped me prepare for the combine as, as, as best as I could. And yeah, I can't appreciate the stuff that he's done for me. And yeah, he's made me really tick some boxes in, in my own my own goods and hopefully recruiters and are happy with my improvement. And yeah, that's a massive shout out and thanks to Jack. Okay, welcome back guys. So we'll start with Brett. Here it's quite a lady one, so I might read off. I have twins 14 year olds that, that are challenged by their disability um, coordination development disorder where I have had to create a new ways of learning, teaching the skills of football and really focusing at fitness. goes on to say, focus on their fitness and strengthening to keep them at their top level to keep up with their A-trip and division. Um, do you have any programs that can assist with their development uh, of skills? A- absolutely. And, and, you know, we've had a number of players like that. And, and I guess the, the key for that one is, is trying to, um, you know, which is our philosophy anyway, is, is try to simplify the process as, as much as possible, but then also have fun, um, fun doing, it, doing it as well. You've got to be enjoying, um, you know, what they do, but by simplifying the process and making the, the technique um, as easy for them to understand and easy for them to do, then, you know, they gain that sort of real confidence out of it. And then once a player then starts to get confidence, it's, you know, anything sort of, you know, can happen from there. And we see, you know, I get a number of feedback from parents saying, how much, you know, not only in the football field, but then also out in the, you know, life as well, how much, you know, their their kid just seems to be so much more confident um, around things. So um, absolutely, we we definitely deal um, with all sorts of, you know, players, whether, you know, they have disabilities, whether they don't, any ages, any gender, um, you know, we, we work with them all. Yep. And then this one, 
um, from Martin Toller. Do kids have footy in their hands enough these days, especially with so many other options like video games? And to be perfectly honest, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, with a technology world and a digital world nowadays, that you know they can have their hands on absolutely everything. You know, I th- you think back to, you know, I don't know what you were like, like Jack as well, and but you know, you think back to when you were younger, and I didn't even have a mobile phone when I was, you know, until I was sixteen, and I think even then I was just sort of using mums and dads. Whereas yeah. you have kids nowadays that you know are playing games on, you know, on their phones at like a, a ten and eleven year old. So I definitely don't think that um, you know players are having a footy in their hand and and especially you know obviously Sydney that's where you know our main market is is there's so many other things to be doing as well and you know schooling with our private schools there's so much commitment on with it with the schools and so much homework that they've got to be doing that that a lot of kids don't actually have time to um you know to do this as well but that's I guess the great thing about you know our you know and what we're trying to do on our social medias as well is is actually give you guys drills that their, their players can then do at home and they don't need much time, they don't need much space, but they're still working on their craft. And, you know, you can get two, three, four hundred touches in in the space of, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. So that's what we're really trying to educate on our social media. So I guess if, um, you know, if no one, uh, if, you, if you're not following us, please do, because we do have some excellent content like that, that we can, you know, help the players um, in, you know, small amounts of time or small amounts of space. Yep. This one's from Andrew Nicol, just giving you a bit of a pump up, mate. Tim was amazing for my boy. Thanks for that, uh, Andrew. Yes, I've done uh, a number of sessions um, with, his, with his boy Taj and, um, you know, it was, it was awesome working with him and, um, you know, I've done it for a number of years and just, again, seeing the development from when you first get him to, you know, a couple of years later and it's just incredible, um, you know, to see the transformation and development in a player and, um, and just seeing them grow and develop. Yeah, yeah. And this one's from Damien Grantham. What's your thoughts on the best kicking techniques for teaching kicking fundamentals while using the games approach to kids? Yeah, and I guess this is about our whole uh, sort of philosophy and, you know, what we sort of go by at Kicking Dynamics is, is simplify the process. So when we sort of look at the fundamentals is don't overcomplicate the process. You know, there are, there are some coaches out there and, uh, you know, I listen to a lot of, you know, community coaches and all that as well telling players on, you know, things that they should be looking for or doing it in the kick. And, you know, after all the experience that we've sort of had, um, those areas don't actually have a massive impact with the actual kick and, and how the kick actually goes. So we try and eliminate those because if you then have less things to, to focus on, the players mm. then know that it's easier to do. Um, they can then concentrate on them as well because there's less things to do then that means they're more likely to do it, which then that consistency comes into it. And then that's going to then help in the game. So, you know, we're a big believer of working on our fundamentals first and making sure we get that right. And then once we start doing that, then start working with the game and the pressured situations. Whereas if you start then doing too much game stuff too early and don't get the fundamentals right, then kids can often get frustrated because they are under pressure. So, it, you know, their skills obviously drop because they're under pressure. So making sure we get the fundamentals right first, but then, yeah, once they do absolutely start, you know, um, you know, doing the same process, but just under a little bit more pressure. You mentioned the drills and, and some of the cues that you hear that may not be um, the optimal ones to use. What would be sort of top three that spring to mind that you hear quite commonly that um, you would, and then maybe the three that you'd prefer to hear more commonly that would be, would be the optimal? Yeah, so with the, with the kicking technique, you know, things like, you know, I hear players come to me and say, well, what about my balance arm? I've been taught, you know, 
um, to have my balance up a certain way. And yes, I guess, you know, it has a minor impact on, on a kick-ins technique, but it, it's an individual case. Like if a, if a player finds balance with their sort of, you know, balance arm sort of down towards their body and it works for them, then, you know, I'm going to leave it like that. Um, I'm not going to change their balance arm if that's what works for them. Um, so that's definitely sort of one that, you know, I don't really sort of look at. I let the player just, you know, have their balance arm how they would normally have it. Uh, another one is is pointing the toe, and you get that quite a bit. And I'm not sure if you've you know heard that over the years and your lifetime, Jack. But pointing the toes towards the target, and I get why coaches sort of say it, but they also say pointing the toe makes the ball go lower. And then I ask you know players and coaches and parents, well, how does the ball actually go lower from pointing your toe? And when you start to really think about about it, it's they start then talking about their um, where they're making impact um, with the ball. So. Pointing the toe doesn't actually make the ball go, go lower. It's all about our timing. So where the ball and the foot meet. So if it's lower to the ground, so you bring your foot through a little bit later, then that's going to cause the ball to go lower and it's going to allow you to kick through the football. Whereas if you then bring your foot through a little bit earlier and make connection out in front of your body a little bit more, then it's going to go higher. So in all different sort of height kicks and also distance kicks, we keep our process um, exactly the same. How you get different distances is leg speed and how you get different heights is, is the timing, but the actual mm. technique and process stays the same. So then what happens is then, you know, a player's then only practising one technique instead of, you know, five or six. And you're going to become more consistent if you practise one over, you know, five or six. I guess the key area that I look for is, is alignment, um, is making sure that, you know, you're aligned with the target because, again, you want to simplify everything. And, and I get in games of football, there are times where you might, you know, have to kick around the corner and, and do that. But when you're practicing and, and you know, starting off and, um, you know, is making sure everything's in line with the target. Because the reality is if you keep everything in line with the target, guess where the ball's going to go? It's going to go yeah. straight. Whereas if you start then twisting or, you know, veering off to the side, that just adds variables. And then under pressure, those variables we find uh, obviously increase the chance of, of things going wrong. And then that's when the consistency drops. So making sure the alignment's, um, uh, you know, straight towards the target. Ball drop, we like to, again, simplify that process of bringing it straight out and then bringing it straight down to your foot. Um, it's so much quicker to do, but then what it does is it causes the whole technique just to flow a lot more. So it, it helps create a better contact with the foot, which then increases your timing, and that's going to help consistency. It's going to help get more power. Um, but then I guess the other thing is just momentum. Move through the football. A lot of players will do it up until they kick, but then stop. And then what happens from that? The brain goes, I need to generate power from somewhere. So what it does is it more likely turns and twists the hips. Whereas if they continue their momentum through to the target, they don't need to put in as much effort to generate the same amount of power. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. And the um, Ollie Stephens written, in terms of path to the AFL or rejoining an academy, what advice would you give to someone who played in the Swans Academy till the age of 15 but then left due lack of size and strength and love for AFL? And then he's followed on to say, who has now put on muscle mass and improved skills to a new level, whilst also played high level of other sports since. Yeah, and great question, um, Ollie. And um, thanks for sort of tuning in. What I would sort of suggest is, is obviously you've worked on some of your, I guess, um, areas that you sort of need to and improving your skill level and also the, the muscle mass is, is just keep at it and, and just keep working on your strengths. Um, you've still obviously got time. Um, being at 15 years of age, nobody gets drafted at 15. So there's still plenty of time left. So if you just keep working and keep um, improving and, and 
and working on your strengths and playing good football. That's You can't beat playing good football. Um, obviously, it comes with preparation, absolutely, but play good, consistent football and then that's where, you know, things will start to get noticed um, a little bit more and, and, you know, things like the Swans Academy, Giants Academy, all these people out there have different scouts and different reporting systems. So if you're playing really good football, um, you're, you're, you will get noticed um, in, in the long run. Um, but, yeah, just work hard and, and keep working on the things that you're good at and, and keep working on things that you also need to improve too. You, you may have answered this one already with Lucas, but um, if there's anything you want to add to it, I find it difficult to get distance slash power if my set routine is straight, like you were talking about before. How do you get power without wheeling around to the side? Yeah, and, and that's a great question, and we get that you know quite a, quite a bit as well in terms of that power, in terms of that distance. It may not be a set shot, but that's a you know that power and distance is a is a big question that we get asked. And momentum, yeah, through the ball. Um, so everything going towards the target because you've got momentum through the ball, you are going to get that impact. There's probably no question that you probably do generate a little bit more power from going out to the side. But what you do do is you decrease the accuracy because there are extra variables that you get. You have to get right. So whenever you then increase these variables under pressure in a game situation, your percentage of getting it right lowers. So my then question to players is, you know, we can work on getting that extra distance, but if, if it means then compromising your accuracy as well, which would you rather? Would you rather hit four out of 10 and kick 50 metres or would you rather kick seven or eight out of 10 and, and kick 47, 48 metres? You know, it's only a couple of metres difference. But without sort of having to look at the techniques as well, Lucas, you know, because there could be something within your, your ball drop. Um, there could be, you know, something with your, your timing and, and you, know, the, you know, the momentum part as well. But try keeping everything in line and keep moving through the football. And, and also with the ball drop, like I mentioned, bring it out and then down to your foot and let everything flow. Don't let your technique break down. And then that's where I find that people generate a lot more power. Awesome. Great questions, guys. We'll now move into more the, the personal side, Tim. So these questions are a little bit different to the serious ones we've asked before. They're a bit of fun. Um, first one, which movie or TV series has impacted you the most and why? Uh, yeah, a great question. I, I'll, <laughs> I'll, uh, I guess, you know, I'll, I'll say one movie and, and then also a, um, a TV series as well was, I guess the movie, um, and I, I love sporting movies. I, lo- I love a lot of movies, but sporting movies in particular. And I guess Coach Carter uh, comes to mind. I don't know I if it's yeah. Jack. Yeah, uh, but what I guess what I love about it is um, Coach Carter comes in with process and a plan, and he believes in it as well. And and you know there are a lot of people out there that don't disagree or disagree with you know what he's trying to teach and 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 what he's trying to do. But he knows that it you know that it works, and 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 he has faith in it and believes in it. And in the end, you know you see the the, the kids and that the players actually you know really buying into what he's then trying to sell. And, you, you know, the, the success story from it is absolutely incredible. Um, and mm. I guess that's like us as well. We have this process and we know that it works. And, um, you know, there might be some people out there that don't disagree, but, um, you know, that's what, you know, we've known from our experience at the highest level. So, um, yeah, I love that sort of, you know, that movie and, and watched it, you know, a number of times as well. Yeah. The TV series is being a bit of a basketball fan and being a Jordan and, and Pippen um fan growing up is the last dance um yeah it was epic it was incredible um seeing all the behind the scenes stuff and and you know seeing i guess what drove michael jordan and and you yeah. know his commitment to it and and you know seeing a different side you probably wouldn't normally see was was just was just fantastic yeah yeah it made you realize there was no 
you know, he really created his own luck and success, didn't he, with his drive? Absolutely. And just, you know, hearing stories like he would actually, um, you know, create a story in the media just to drive himself in, you know, yeah. a championship game and then yeah. being able to deliver on it as well is just extraordinary. Yeah. yeah he was in a class of, him, of his own. Um, Favourite inspirational quote or life motto? Um, I, I have a, I have a few. Um, and I guess, you know, I've sort of mentioned things about, you know, the, the kicking dynamics process and um, Bruce Lee uh, comes, comes to mind and I, I use that a lot in my sessions as well. And I'm not sure if you're aware of this one, Jack, but he has this mm. quote that basically says, I fear not the person that's practised 10,000 kicks. I fear the mm, person yeah. that's one kick 10,000 times. Yeah, and I love what it. I see from a football sense is I see kids, you know, kicking the football, which is absolutely awesome. You know, we want them to see them kicking the football more but they're doing something different every single time they kick. Whereas yeah. if they're practising the same technique, their improvement's just going to rise so much more. So you can be doing a stationary kick. You can be doing a kick on the run. You can still be doing a kick for goal, but the process doesn't actually change. And if you practise that, then what happens is that consistency comes from it and you'll be much sort of greater in terms of your fundamentals and your kick. Um, I sort of mentioned I was a bit of a Jordan fan. So, you know, anything from, from Jordan is, Michael Jordan is, is fantastic. and. And I love the saying, and I mentioned it before about, you know, the shooting eight hours a day, but get the fundamentals right and, yeah. and you know, everything that you do will rise. And then I guess, you know, from a, our model from a business point of view is just simplify the process. Keep it as simple as possible. Um, you know, we overcomplicate. Some people overcomplicate things, you know, more than what they have to. Um, just keep it simple and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And in your work life, what makes you angry? What are your, your pet peeves? Uh, yeah, look, there's a few of them. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll narrow it down to a couple. I guess one is, and again, you know, I'm not knocking, you know, the, the players that are out there kicking the football, but seeing just players just kick bananas and snaps, you know, constantly, pretty much all session. And I get it, it's fun, absolutely. But if players want to develop and get better, when you sort of think about the percentage of how much we use a drop hunt versus how much we use snaps and bananas, is, you know, we use it like 90% of the time in, in a game of the drop punch. So that's the one that we should be practising the most because we're using it the most. It's not to say that we shouldn't learn how to do snaps and bananas because you do need to know how you, um, you know, how to, how to do them just in case, you know, the situation comes. And I know my last ever um, senior game, it was against Port Adelaide again. So I debuted against them and, and then finished my career against them. And we th- it was three points, uh, sorry, three minutes to go. Uh, scores were level and um, I took a mark near the point post. So I had to then, you know, I ended up doing a banana. Um, I was lining up for a drop pun until Michael O'Loughlin goes to me, what the, what the heck are you doing? Um, and I said, just going for a drop pun. He goes, got a banana. And I was like, well, you know, he's played 300 games. He's a, a legend of the game. I look up to him. So um, absolutely, I'll do it. I'll listen to him. And yeah, lucky I knew how to do it. And, and you know, ended up, you know, winning the game because of it. So you need to know how That's to do awesome. it. I use it as a, you know, as a reward. Work hard and get the, you know, the, the drop punch right first and then, you know, you finish off with your, your fun. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then I've sort of mentioned it. Um, another one is just coaches that sort of overcomplicate the process um, and, and, you know, players that change their process, i.e. goal kicking. You know, you look at goal kicking and it's at 150-year low, um, which is staggering considering, you know, all the time and effort and, you know, how skillful players actually are, like skillful. Players are, you know, more skillful than ever, yet one of the most basic fundamentals of the game is at 150-year low because they change their process. 
You know, mm. they lean back, they twist their hips, they go out to the side. You know, whereas if you do keep everything in line, you, you're going to kick more goals just because the technique is simpler. I do get a lot of people talk about pressure and fatigue and the speed of the game. That all plays, plays a part, but it plays a worse effect when you do all these different variables. Whereas if you keep everything straight, even in under fatigue, your kick's more likely to go straight. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's, a, that's another one. Yep. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, th- these last two are um, COVID-free world, if, if we can imagine it. Uh, <laughs> what's your favourite way to spend your day off? Yeah, look, and, and to be honest, over the last sort of eight years, as you, you've, I've spoken about having you know, two full-time jobs at Kicking Dynamics and also the AFL, there wasn't too many times off just because I was so busy doing you know, either AFL work or the amount of sessions that were sort of having come in. So um, mm. my work-life balance was sort of pretty non-existent you know at the start and that's something that I've had to really work on is trying to take a you know weekend off or a day off here um but spending it you know spending it with you know my wife and and little two and a half year old um is you know I you know without with the limited time that you sort of have together you want to make the most of it so um and my wife um Leanne who you know has probably influenced me the most since my business um she's you know my business partner and and you know basically go to her with everything, you know, behind the scenes, you know, what she does is absolutely awesome. So, you know, we like to just, you know, take our mind off things and, you know, do things that our little boy Fox, you know, wants to do, you know, go to the park, um, you know, we actually still keep the football with him, play, you know, different sports, go to the playground. Um, you know, we love eating out as well. So, you know, breakfasts or lunch or, you know, just chill out and just, you know, take it easy. Yeah. Can he drop the, the ball on his foot? Uh, so, yeah, he's, he loves, he's, again, he's sort of similar to myself as a, a youngster, just ball crazy. Ball mad. Yeah. yeah, can't get enough of it. And, yeah, look, you know, I may be biased, but um, he, he does kick a ball, a good ball for a uh, two-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah, he's true Schmidt then. <laughs> uh, f- favourite holiday destination and why? Uh, yeah, well, obviously, I'm glad you mentioned pre-COVID because with, yeah. uh, with lockdown at the moment, we can't even travel, you know, outside 5Ks from our home. So. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's tough at the moment, but I guess, you know, prior to that and, and hopefully then when things start to ease a little bit um, is, you know, I love heading back to, to SA and, and visiting family like mum and my brother still live back there, um, obviously have great f- friends and, and, and also other family back in SA. So I love going back there, visiting them, um, you know, love Maldives and Italy. Uh, that was my wife's and my honeymoon. So we're able to, you know, be lucky enough to head over there. And, you know, there were so many parts that we actually didn't see. So we'd love to explore that a little bit more. And then the USA, um, you know, been there a number of times and, you know, places like LA, places like New York, um, you know, just being able to see the American sports and, you know, learn from them as well while having a, having a good time as well. Yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Hey? Well, thanks so much for, for jumping on. I really enjoyed um, taking you through the different phases of your life and all the experiences and sharing the um the lows and the highs and and all the learnings and um, and everything you're doing now to help the next generation of footballers but also their parents and coaches and everything mate you're making a real impact in in the industry um and truly living like what you wrote down that Paul Ruiz exercise of what you you know what you want to leave your footprint on the on the industry um what what are you excited about for for 2021 what's on the horizon horizon for kicking dynamics and yeah, look, I, I guess it's uh, that the big thing is is uh, having that bit of normal normality. Like you know, we're in the harshest lockdown that we've had here in Sydney. So um, you know, we've only been able to do sort of the one-on-one um, sessions. We can't have you know two players or three players or small groups or even club stuff. So 
um, you know, that's what we're really looking forward to is sort of getting back to being able to do that and, and, and you know, building on that. Um, and, you know, just, you know, keep developing our programs and, and keep building um, a bigger and, um, you know, better program for, for 22 and, you know, beyond and, um, and, and keep building our brand and, and developing and, and being, you know, the, the, the leaders in the industry um, with, with, with the kickings and, and the technique and side of it. So, yeah, just sort of getting back to that normality once sort of, you know, the, the restrictions lift would be, uh, would be the first step. Yeah. And for those that have tuned in and, and those listening to this recording of the podcast, which will launch in a few weeks' time, uh, how, how, what's the best way to get in touch with yourself, Tim, to get some coaching and, and do your workshops, whether you be an, a kid or, or maybe a parent that wants to work on those, learning those cues and those drills to, to help their son or daughter that's playing footy? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, and, and the number of services that we have um, aren't just sort of, you know, for players. We also get parents come to us. We also, you know, get coaches all, all ages. I remember having a, a 60-year-old come to me and he literally just started taking up masters and, and wanted to learn how to kick. So, we, oh really? Yeah, wow. so it was, it was fantastic to see. And then I had another fifty-year-old that wanted to learn how to kick, so then he could teach his his you know son and daughter um, the right way. So we have you know services for for all types, and it's not just for here in Sydney or in Adelaide where we have coaches. It's it's also you know all across Australia we get you know people coming to us, and and when travel um, eases as well, we travel to you know all these locations and. Um, also doing, you know, our virtual um, online sort of services, webinars, um, where we're doing coach the coach sessions as well online. So, um, you know, there is, there's services and, for everyone. Um, I guess how you get in contact with us is, is via our sort of socials, Instagram and also Facebook as well. They're our main two. Um, and then our website as well. So our Instagram handle is Kicking Dynamics AU. And then our um, uh, Facebook handle is Kicking Dynamics 36, and then our website is just kickingdynamics.com.au, and that all has our contact info, our services, um, and then yeah, we're obviously regularly posting you know great content on you know what we sort of look for, how you guys can improve, um, you know either when you know, as a, as yourself or when you're teaching your you know your daughter or son. Fantastic, yeah, I'll make sure to put those the website, Instagram, and Facebook. URLs in the show notes as well, guys. So if you're listening in, you can click them in the show notes to get a direct uh, contact there. But thank you, thank you so much for your time, Tim. I've really enjoyed it. I'm sure all the uh, guests that are watching live have as well. Great questions for those that sent in. Um, for those asking about the Sam Newman podcast, that is being released tomorrow. So uh, as soon as you wake up, that will be live on our Prepare Like a Pro podcast, which which is a good laugh. Um, so make sure to listen to that. It's in two parts and both will be released tomorrow because it was quite a long one. But, um, yeah, thanks, Tim. Thanks so much for, for tuning in, mate. Looking thanks, Jack. To- really appreciate it. And like I said at the start, you know, love the, love the work that you're doing and, um, yeah, you know, keep it up. And, um, yeah, thanks very much for having me on. Yeah, no doubt. There could be a uh, future workshop when the world's right again with Kicking Dynamics and Prepare Like a Pro at some off-season camp one day maybe. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I'll look forward to that, yep. Yeah, awesome, Tim. Thanks, mate. If you enjoyed this episode and want even more, our academy is for you. The Prepare Like a Pro Academy is a platform that hosts exclusive features and bonus content such as a Q&A segment aimed at getting to know the guests on a more personal level. Here's an example with Emily Meehan, head sports dietitian of the Collingwood Football Club. What are things that, that fire you up? Oh, this one is always, uh, so I suppose it is... Um... 
it'll be topical for most people, I think, but staying in your lane. And I yep. often find that with nutrition, everyone eats, so everyone has an opinion. And I think that's what really gets me fired up um, because so many people try and provide nutrition advice based on their end of one experience when they did intermittent fasting or keto or whatever it might be. And then game changes, yeah, game changes, whatever that might be. And look, it probably keeps me in a job, but that it does drive me insane because yeah. sometimes the information can be so detrimental um, and opposite to what I've been working with my athlete or athletes and, you know, and because they hear it on someone's socials or through a documentary, it unravels everything that I've been working with an athlete for. Yeah, yeah. Another feature of our academy is the opportunity each week to join myself as co-host on the Prepare Like a Pro live chat show. Here's an example with academy member Rama Davies, the friendly conditioning coach at the Box Hill Hawks. Welcome, Rama, to the chat. Uh, Rama has also worked at, at Box Hill, or currently he's working at Box Hill Hawks with us, awesome. so he's another Box Hill man uh, in the strength and conditioning department. So I'll handle it over to you, Rama, to, to ask you a question, mate. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks, Jack. And, yeah, thanks, um, thanks Sam, for the chat. It was uh, I found it to be really insightful, plenty of gems in there, um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, mate, my, my question to you was, you spoke a, a, quite a bit about, um, perspective during that chat. Um, and I was wondering what are some of the things that you either know or, um, do physically that, um, you wish you either knew or did, um, back at the beginning of your career? Uh, what are some of those things? Mm, yeah, good question. Um, yeah, so I suppose with perspective on life, um, that sort of point, um, it yeah certainly yeah has been massive for me now, and and didn't probably have that as much um, when I was younger. Um, I suppose one thing I might mention is is gratitude. I spend a lot of my mm. time um, doing a lot of gratitude exercises, listening to podcasts doing a, a journal every day just to be to say what I'm grateful for sort of three things and um, that's a fantastic way that I've been able to yeah like reset and and just kind of gain that gratitude and perspective about you know that there is more to life than football or you know might be whatever as an SNC coach you know if something's you're having a hard time um, it can be massive with just yeah opening your eyes a little bit and losing that sort of tunnel vision or being stuck in that in that work bubble um, yeah. so that's that's been huge um i think i wish back then when i was younger i asked more questions and was a bit more open to different things mm -hmm. i think i was a bit single-minded back then and um you know i thought there was one way of doing things and um if i kind of didn't have that fear fear of you know asking a silly question or fear of judgment it would have got me a lot further and i probably would have learned a lot quicker um and yeah. and yeah, like just yeah, being open to sort of different things because um, you never know what you might find. It's just yeah, there's so many people, like great people out there, knowledgeable people to learn off. And there's plenty more where that came from. If you would like to learn more, then enter patreon.com forward slash prepare like a pro or head to the link in our show notes. Thank you for listening to the Prepare Like a Pro podcast. If you like this episode, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, give a review or even share with your mates. 
The show is recorded in Melbourne, Australia. Be sure to follow our Instagram page for all updates on our latest and greatest. If you would like to get in touch to suggest a guest or advertise with the Prepare Like a Pro podcast, please email me at jack at preparelikeapro.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.